As we uh, continue our study in Colossians, we come to a passage that is just, uh, there's, the, the word mystery is used in this passage several times. We're going to begin in Colossians 1, 24, and we're going to go all the way through uh, Colossians 2, verse 3. And uh, that's where I plan on ending with it today. But our, our world is full of mystery. It's full of mysterious things. There's, there's a lot of questions we have that we just, it's hard to answer. You know, on the surface, uh, you might jokingly ask, why did Noah take scorpions on the ark? Now, I haven't quite figured that out yet. I grew up in, a, in an area with, uh, down north of Austin in the limestone hills of uh, uh, the hill country where scorpions were prolific. And I, I never have quite figured out. And more recently, you know, when we got introduced, it was right toward the end of the COVID stuff, we got introduced to the uh, Asian murder hornets. That question came to my mind again. Why, God, can we not, can, can we get by without Asian murder hornets? Uh, but the, the mysteries of life are so prolific. There are so many. And I was thinking of how, how could I illustrate this? Uh, as we started out the sermon today, these, these incredible depths of the mysteries of God. You know, remember just last week we looked at this text that said that Christ is the Lord of all of creation. He was there in the beginning. Everything was created by him and for him and through him. He was at creation, and he's the one who sustains it and holds all things together. So I think that when we, when we consider the mysteries of the universe, we can begin just by looking at creation. Here's the one that has intrigued me recently. And like I said, there, we, you could take this all kinds of different ways, but here's the one that's intrigued me recently. Uh, Y'all know that, many of you know that I hunt with my brother uh, out on a large ranch toward Throckmorton in Throckmorton County. And so to help sustain the deer, especially through the winter, one of the things that we've done is we've planted some food plots. There's several, nine different food plots we planted out there across this ranch that helps provide, especially during the winter, harsh winter months when the other grasses aren't growing, there's not much for them to, to uh, uh, browse on. Uh, it gives them something that helps sustain them. And one of the things that he's learned to do is he plants a mixture of five different seeds. Well, you would think, why don't you just pick the best and plant that one? Because every seed is dependent upon getting rain at the right, the right time. And so each of those seeds, for some reason, God has created them that uh, the, the wheat or the barley or whatever the mixture of those five seeds are, they all come up at a little bit of a different time. Now, I understood this growing up as a kid because we had a big garden and we would plant that garden and we would generally plant what we could grow in that, that black soil. It was pretty shallow down there in Cedar Park. Uh, but we would plant uh, beans, black-eyed peas, okra, uh, squash, and then we tried, tried tomatoes and onions. Uh, there were some things that that soil was just too tight, you couldn't grow in it. But the squash, it would always, uh, seeds would always sprout a little bit earlier, the, the squash and the beans and the black-eyed peas. And um, of course, I was always anxious. Once I did all that work to till the garden, get it planted, I'd want to go out there and I want to dig around and see if anything had started to sprout yet. But the one that always seemed to take forever to sprout was okra. It just, it wouldn't sprout until the, the nights uh, begin to get warmer. In fact, the, the, the low temperatures, when they got up to where they were around the upper 60s or 70, usually over 70, that okra would been, begin to sprout. Why? I don't know. If anybody can explain it, I know there's some biologists out there that have studied it and can tell you when each seed sprouts, but why? 
What is it that's a part of the mystery of that, that okra seed? Now, one thing about okra that Dad pointed out, when it got warm enough, we could plant okra out in the street and it would grow in asphalt. And once it started growing, it would produce okra until we quit picking it. And I hated, as a 9, 10, 11-year-old boy, picking okra when it was 108 degrees in the summer, having to reach up on that stalk and pull it down to get the okra off the top of it so that it could keep growing. That made a little bit more sense, so there's some seed that it has to get warmer before it sprouts. But these five seeds that my brother plants, some of them don't sprout until it gets cooler later into the winter. Absolutely mind-boggling to me. I just don't get it. There's all kinds of incredible mysteries of creation that you and I don't get. I've had a, a question from a lady on Facebook yesterday concerning how, how do we understand some of the, the difficult things about God? Why does God allow some things to happen? And in all honesty, I don't have all the answers because a lot of life is simply just a mystery. We, we cannot fully, completely comprehend God or the ways of God. The mystery that is spoken of in the text that we want to look at today is different than that because this is a mystery that we would not be able to grasp or understand at all had God not decided to reveal the truth to us. The content of the mystery that Paul refers to in Colossians 1 at the beginning of Colossians 2 the content of that mystery, God wants us to know. And in fact, even in the book of Daniel, Daniel refers to our God as the revealer of mysteries. There's some things that he wants us to know, and so he has set about throughout history seeking to help us know and understand the truth of that mystery. That's what I want to look at with you today. So let's read the text, and we'll dig into it. He says, starting in verse 21, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard, the gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is the church. I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make known the word of God fully, the mystery hidden for the ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We have proclaimed him warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. For I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you, for these in Laodicea and for those, for all who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding 
and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The mystery, the content of the mystery, what God wants you to know about him is found in Christ. He is the revelation of God to us. He is the fulfillment of that mystery. If we get Christ and we put our faith and trust in, in, in understanding Christ in a, in, in a relationship with him, we have the foundation for everything else. The last couple weeks, last week in particular, we focused on this, this, the beauty of creation. It's hard for me to get past that because remember, this is a letter. Paul wrote this letter to the church. It's not, it wasn't written in pieces, okay? So they were going to read the whole letter. They weren't going to do like we're doing and read a piece of it, you know, two weeks ago and a piece last week and a piece this week. So keep in mind that he has just come off of this, this uh, great hymn which celebrates Jesus is Lord of creation and Jesus is Lord of the church. And he, he comes to this, he says, this is the fulfillment. This is the revelation of that mystery. I can't help but think of the words of David. When David looks out across the universe and he sees the, the mighty work of God's hand and he sees the stars and he sees the heavens and he sees the oceans and he sees the mountains and he says, Lord, who is man that you even care about us? Who am I? that you even care. That's a mystery. Bill Cosby used to have a joke. He'd say, say something like this. Is he told, he'd tell his kids when they started acting love, look, your mom and I made you. We could take you out and make another one look just like you, right? My parents never got quite that straight with me, but they were clever close. Uh, God could wipe us out and start all over, but he doesn't. He loves us. And the mystery of his love, the mystery of his care for us is seen in Christ. There's a lot of text here and there's a lot of depth in each one of these sections. And so I wanna work through them very quickly. The first is this, Paul refers to himself as a servant of this mystery, a servant of this mysterious gospel. And, and he explains the gospel there. In another place, in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul refers to himself as a steward of the mysteries of God. God has called him to be a good steward of, of God's mysteries, to make known to the Gentiles this truth. Well, the baseline of this truth, the bottom line of that truth is this, and he gives it to us here in verse 21 through 24. One, you were separated from God. You were once alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions. Paul said, I could tell by the way you were living that you were separated from God. You know, there's a time when I was growing up that people would refer to this nation as a Christian nation. But I can tell by the way that we're living that that's not true anymore. We're alienated from God. We're separated from God. We no longer as a nation act like a Christian nation. Paul, as he looked to the Colossians as a group of people, he said, you once were alienated from God. I could tell by your evil actions. Our sin is a tell that we aren't connected to the living God. When we sin without shame, when we sin without thought of, of wrong, and then when we come to the point where we try to explain our sin and say, well, wait a minute, that's not sin at all. And in all honesty, in, in a lot of 
very real ways, that's, that's where our nation has gone. We've gone from being ashamed of some things when I was a kid that now we celebrate. I mean, it's no longer shame. It's no longer hiding it. We've gone to the point where we not only say, I'm going to celebrate my sin, and now you have to celebrate my sin with me. And if you don't celebrate my sin, then you're mean. You're not loving. You don't care about me. If, if, if I were to celebrate something that leads to death, that is unloving. Paul says, I could tell that you were not connected to God. I could tell that you were alienated from God because of your evil actions, because of your sin. And then he says, uh, you were reconciled by his death. Now, he's speaking to the, to the church at Colossae. He's speaking to people that put their faith in Christ, that lived in in the Laodicea Valley, he mentions Laodicea in, in, verse, or in chapter 2, they lived in this valley and they lived close to or in this town of Colossae. These are people who now have come to know Christ and put their faith in him. And he says, now he has reconciled you, but he did it through his death. And you are made holy in him. Love that word holy because it means set apart for the use, usefulness of God. It doesn't mean perfect necessarily. It means that you've been cleansed and in God's eyes, you're now useful in his kingdom. Without digging into all the particulars of that word, oftentimes we think that we have to be perfect to be used of God. All we have to do is be cleansed by the blood of Christ and he makes us useful to his kingdom. And so you have the, the, the encapsulation of the gospel here in verses 21 through 24 when Paul says we are separated from God you can see it from your evil actions. We're separated from God by our sin, but you've been reconciled by his death. When Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood for us, he gave us an opportunity to be reconciled to him. And then third, he makes us holy so that now we can be useful for God. When you get down to verse 22, Paul now here says he is serving Christ in Christ's mysterious strength. What you're going to see in this text is that if the first passage focuses on the gospel, the first five verses or four verses there. This next section is real, really highlights how we grow and mature in our faith in Christ. First of all, Paul points out that from his perspective, serving Christ comes at a cost. Sounds a whole lot like what Jesus told his disciples. And so it's at this point, I want you to be very cautious of anyone who tells you, well, if you get saved, everything's going to be great. If you just trust Jesus and you have enough faith, all of life's going to go, go well for you. It's just not true. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus told his disciples that if you choose to follow me, you're going to go through rough times. It, right before he went to the cross at John 16, and he's, he's laying out some of the, the challenges that they're going to have because the world's going to hate them. He says, but but find peace in this. I have overcome the world. You're going to face difficulty. You're going to face challenges. But your eternity is settled. And he will never leave you. When Joshua was getting ready to enter the promised land as a commander of the Israeli army, God did not promise him that they weren't going to have shortfall, that they weren't going to have rough times, that there weren't going to be men die, that he wasn't going to go through difficulty. What God promised him is he said, be strong and courageous because I am with you. The Lord was going to walk with him 
through every challenge and every trial. That's the promise of the good shepherd in, in Psalm 23. Yea, though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. The promise of, of, of our faith is not a promise of life without struggle. The promise of our faith is that as we go through suffering and difficulty and struggles in this world, we have the God of the universe with us. And in fact, as we get down to a little bit further in this text, he speaks of uh, the desire that we have Christ in us. Christ comes in and dwells in the heart of every believer through the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit. We are called here in this passage to make known God's mystery. Paul says that he is a servant of this mystery. He suffers as he serves the church. And I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make known the word of God fully, this mystery hidden for the ages. God, Paul says that as a believer, he has been called and commissioned to tell others about Christ. And though you and I don't have the same commission as the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, every one of us has received a command from Christ to tell others about what he's done for us. Third here in this section is you find the content of that mystery. It says the mystery hidden for the ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ. Christ is the revelation of God's mystery. God wants us to know him, and so he sent his son, Jesus, that we might know him. People, we can get all caught up in the mysteries of the world. We can get all caught up in the mysteries of religion, but God doesn't desire us to, to walk in religion. God desires us to walk in a relationship with Christ. Heard a pastor the other day talking about the two trees that were in the garden. You had the tree of life and you had the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he made a, a, an excellent point. He said, look, that tree wasn't called the tree of the knowledge of evil. It was called the tree of knowledge in, of good and evil. It wasn't that God just didn't want us to know evil. God didn't even want us. It, it, God's desire was that we not know having the knowledge of good and evil because what he wanted us to have knowledge of was him. God's desire was that we know him. And, and as we know him and we see him, we can walk in a relationship with him and not be distracted by all of the things of this world. God's desire is as he has worked through the, the ages to make known the mystery. The mystery is that we might know him through Christ. Why is this important? Well, first of all, it is only through Christ that we gain eternal life. That's the content of the gospel. That's what we talked about a few minutes ago. It is through putting our faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone that we have hope of eternal life. We cannot have a, recon a reconciled relationship with God outside of Christ. Peter says there's no, under name, no other name under heaven by which man might be saved except Jesus. Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus and Jesus alone is our hope. 
of eternal life. There's no other hope of eternal life. There's no other way to be reconciled to the Father. It's through his blood. It's through the body of Christ that we have hope of eternal life and we have hope of forgiveness. So there's no other way. So Jesus is the fulfillment of that, that reconciliation. It is through him that we have life, new life. Just as we celebrated with Ron today, as he put his faith in Christ, from this point forward, from last Sunday when he made that decision, he knows that he knows that he knows that he belongs to Christ, that his sins have been forgiven, he's been washed by the blood of Christ, and he's a child of God from henceforth on. What a beautiful, incredible picture. This passage, though, takes the next step, and it says, he goes on to say that Christ in you is the hope of glory. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we might may present everyone mature in Christ. So here's the next step. It's only through Jesus that we have any hope of eternal life. Great. As a 12-year-old boy, I walked down the aisle during a revival. I told the pastor that I knew I was lost. I, need, I wanted to be saved. The pastor sat down with me. He actually opened his Bible to Romans chapter 10, some of the scripture I quoted from the baptistry this morning. I read that scripture. I, I confessed Christ as, as Lord and, and trusted him as my Savior, and I believe at that moment I became a child of God. The message I got after that, though, from my friends at school and really people at church was pretty straightforward. All right, now that you're a Christian, you got to do this, 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 and this. And my friends at school basically said, and now that you're a Baptist, you can't do this, 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 and this. So I had a list of things I had to do and a list of things I couldn't do. And if somehow I failed to live up to those expectations and check off those lists, then I was, I was not ever going to be the Christian that God wanted me to be. What I learned really Partly through Colossians 1.27, when I was a re at a retreat in college, a light came on. I learned that, you know what? I couldn't save myself in the first place. Why do I think that I could be the man that God wants me to be in my own strength? If I can't save myself, there's no way that I'm going to be able to daily walk according to God's principles. I just can't do it. I tried, and I failed over and over and over and over. So what is the hope that God's glory is ever going to shine through me? What is, what is the hope that people are ever going to see even a small glimpse of Jesus or God in me? What is that hope? Where, where do I have hope? Because I'm an utter failure every time I try in my own strength to live up to God's expectations. The hope of glory is Christ in me. Paul put it this way when he was talking to the Galatians. He said, you can't live, the, you couldn't save yourself. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you think that you could live the Christian life in your own strength? You can't. The only hope that you have of living the life that God desires for you is walking in a relationship with the living Christ. Him in you, living his life out through you. I firmly believe that's why Galatians 5, or Galatians chapter 2 refers to the fruit of the Spirit. I'm sorry, it is Galatians 5. Refers to the fruit of the Spirit and not the fruit of a good Christian or the fruit of a mature Christian. 
because it's the Holy Spirit that is going to produce in you love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. You can't do it. No matter how hard you try or how long you've been a Christian, you can't produce God's kind of love. But the Spirit in you can. Christ in you is the hope of glory. At some point, you and I have to simply make the decision that we're not strong enough. And we submit ourselves and say, okay, Lord, I fail time and time again. Take over. I want to follow you. I want to go where you want me to go. I want to do what you want me to do. Whether I understand your call, whether I understand the direction, I'm, I want to obey you. I surrender. That's, that's really the key word that was in my head when I was 19, 20 years old. I had to come to a point where I quit trying in my own strength and surrendered to the Spirit of God who dwelt in me. Do I always get it right? No. Because sometimes I like to take back a little bit of that control and try to do it my way. But I find that when I start doing that, I fail again. When I, when I submit to Christ and walk in a relationship with him, his spirit empowers me to accomplish his purposes. That's why we have verse 29, where Paul says, I labor for this, striving. So he's laboring that everybody might become to maturity in Christ. He's striving. He's laboring. Well, it sounds like he's trying really hard. But listen to how he strives. I'm striving in his strength that works powerfully in me. So the power of the resurrected Christ who is living in me through his Holy Spirit empowers me to do what I could not do in my own human strength. He empowers me to overcome temptation that I could not overcome on my own. He empowers me to live a life that I could not live in my own strength. He empowers me to say no when I need to say no, when I couldn't do it on my own strength. He empowers me to trust him and to say yes when I would not have done it in my own strength. I think about when I gave my, uh, surrendered my life to the ministry when I felt like God was calling me to ministry or think about when God was calling me here. I didn't want to come. I liked my church at May. I loved our friends at May. Well, why am I here? Because God called. And I made a decision that a long time ago that I was going to seek Christ's direction over and above my own flesh. And so you, you may not understand how it's going to work out. You may not see it with your eyes. You may not be able to, to figure it out. But at some point, to walk in faith means that you trust God when the future doesn't make sense. And that's what leads into the next three verses here. Because the next major point I want you to see is, let me back up and just review. We're a servant of the mystery of the gospel. We're serving in his strength and we're trusting him for the results. We, we come to a place in life where we may not see the results, we may not understand the results of our obedience, we may not get why God wants us to do such and such, but we're going to trust him anyway. And so Paul says, I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you, for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me in person. Paul had never even seen these people, and they had never seen him. But he was struggling in his spirit. He was struggling in, in prison, is where he was when he's writing this letter. And he said, I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. 
I don't even know you. I may not ever meet you. I may not ever see you face to face, but I'm trusting God to work through me to accomplish something in you that I couldn't. We come to a point in life where sometimes saying yes to God doesn't make sense, but we say yes because we know he called and we trust him with the results. Paul is trusting God to accomplish what he can't. In fact, what he might not ever get to see with his own eyes because he knows that his God is a trustworthy God. Do you get that? Have you come to a point in life where you say, Lord, I'm going to follow you wherever you lead, even when it doesn't completely add up because you're a trustworthy God? Trusting him for the results is ultimately, when we trust God, the results always point back to Christ. Jesus is the answer to eternal life forgiveness of our sins and cleansing and, and eternal life. Jesus is the answer to growth and maturity in him. And ultimately, if we're simply pursuing Jesus, instead of pursuing the things of this world, when we focus our eyes on Christ and pursue him, we trust God to work out the things of this world. Isn't that really what Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 6 and the Sermon on the Mount when when he says, you know, I know y'all have a lot of worries in life. He said, but look at the birds of the sky. Look at the flowers of the field. They don't have any worries. And he turns to, to his disciples and he says, here's, here's your prescription. <laughs> Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Take care of those tomorrow. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek Christ. Trust Christ for your eternal life. Trust Christ for your daily life. Trust Christ for the future results. And when we put our faith and trust in Christ, in Christ alone, we find the answer to the mysteries of life that God most desires for us to know. How can I understand the mysteries of this world and of life? The, the most important mysteries of all of creation have been revealed by God in Christ. The one who created it all, created the oceans, the mountains, the stars, the moon, the, the prairies, the cattle, the sheep, the one who created it all and has power over the universe loves you and I. How can we understand that mystery? We look to Jesus because it's in Jesus that we see the mysteries of God revealed in a way that we might know him. The most important mysteries of all of history, of all of this world, are found, are, are the answers are found when we look to Christ. I could go on and, and make an argument for that. And here's, here's why it's so important. I was talking to somebody about this well, right, right before the baptism we were talking. I said, you know, a, a doctor can, can add 20, 30, 40 years to your life if he cures a cancer or he removes a, a tumor or 
It replaces a heart valve, right? The doctor can add years to your life, but 20, 30, 40 years is still a drop in the bucket to eternity. Christ can give you life everlasting. That's why I can say with all confidence that the most important mystery of this world, the most important mysteries, plural, of this world are answered in the personal work of Christ in our lives. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.